Now, today we shall explore some of the basics, the basic, well, qualities to be cherished by a meditator. And the topic is one wishing to attain that state of peace should act thus, and then should adopt 14 qualities. And this discourse, these 14 qualities, are from a very well-known discourse for you to then figure out which one it is. Now, the Pani goes as follows, namely, Karaniyamata Kusalena Yamta Santam Param Avisamecha Sako Ujuchasu Ujuchasu Ujuchasamudonatimani Santusako Chasubarocha Apakicha Chasaloka Uti Santendriochani Pakocha Apagabu Kuliswa Ananugido. Now, some of you might know already which discourse, or from which discourse these two verses are. Now, when we undertake the meditation practice, then we should certainly possess the quality as given in the Pali language as sakka, which is an adjective and which means to be able or possible. Hence, a meditator should be able, able to do what? Able to practice virtue or sila. And the commentaries then explained this further as a meditate or a person should possess certain four qualities in order to be able to practice certain virtue. The first one among these is that one has faith in or faith that such a practice of observing an ethical code of conduct is certainly beneficial. If such a faith is not certainly there, then how would one want to practice virtue or morality? Now, the next certain aspect here with regard to being able in the connection with virtue is given as possessing good health. Now, some of the precepts are difficult to keep and in particular the one on not taking solid food after noon, 12 o'clock or noon and so when one is suffering from some illness then this might be not so easy to do. And also when traveling over longer distances and what happens to live by the eight precepts, then this requires certain good health. Now, a person who is able with regard to the practice of virtue also needs to needs to possess certain zeal or effort and without which 
it would be you know, difficult to observe uh, you know, the uh, precepts. To you know, give you, you know, some you know, examples you know, for you know, this. Now, of course, it's uh, uh, easier you know, to you know, live a life without uh, any you know, restriction you know, whatsoever and something just to you know, do whatever you know, one you know, likes. And uh, so to well to uh, take meals whenever one likes and so so, and to say whatever one likes now when we live according to the eight precepts then we have to behave or we have to conduct ourselves in a way that's uh, then requires a certain amount of uh, well intelligence, which is uh, the next quality plus uh, effort and the last quality is that of uh, well being somewhat intelligent in, uh, in keeping those certain precepts now easily we without certain observing the precepts we say things you know, that later on we might uh, you know, regret or we do things that again later on we uh, might uh, regret and uh, so living uh, in accordance with an ethical code of uh, conduct means that uh, we think before we say something and uh, we think before we do something. If uh, what we intend to do or say uh, might uh, uh, well inflict with one or, or uh, contradict with one of uh, the precepts, then we simply refrain from it. And this then covers also the second precept of not taking what is not given. So if we're not sure whether we're allowed to use a certain item or not, then we need to ask for the permission, ask or first of all find out whose property it is and then ask for permission whether we can use it or not. Now, the second quality that is given for one who wishes to attain that state of peace is given in Pali as uju. This is another adjective which means straight or honest. And, and when it comes to you know, the, the practice of uh, the virtue you know, then or the training in virtue one needs to be uh, straight or uh, honest 
And this is a basic requirement, otherwise the observance of an ethical code of conduct doesn't make much sense. And otherwise one might be just faking it. Now, the third quality given in our two verses is that of suju, which is a compound of two words, namely su and uju. Uju again means straight or honest, and su adds to this. And so something like very, very straight, very honest. Now, this term oftentimes gets translated as upright. Hence, a meditator who wishes to attain that state of peace should be upright. Now, when it comes to the practice of the Dhamma, one needs lots of this particular quality of honesty and uprightness. And sometimes, in particular for meditators, it may happen that they do not reveal all of their experiences or their difficulties to a meditation teacher. And such people then could be said not to be quite upright. And um, this is an important uh, quality that a meditator needs to to possess. And only if uh, a meditator reports according to reality, including the difficulties, will a meditation teacher be able to guide this meditator or this meditator properly. Only then will a meditation teacher be able to assess a meditator's practice. And so if one is not upright during one's meditation retreat or outside of a retreat, then one might easily slip off the correct path of practice. Hence, the Buddha very much stressed these two qualities of being straight or honest and upright. Now, to elaborate on this a little bit more. Yesterday, as part of the aims of the meditation practice, aims and objectives of the meditation practice, purity or purification was certainly given. And the First, the attainment is attainment of enlightenment, and therefore stages to, or altogether four stages, well, is characterized by purification, or simply by purity. So it is a state that inherently has to do with purity. In order 
order to reach a state of purity, what do we need to do beforehand? Well, we need to develop as much purity as possible in all of our bodily actions, verbal actions, and mental actions. So we have to prepare the ground for what comes later. And it is said that the third level or the third attainment is then characterized by concentration, whereas the last realization of full or full realization is characterized by wisdom. And so, as we're striving towards some realization or first step realization of the Dhamma, purity and honesty and uprightness are necessary. Now, to give you an illustration for this, If an outstanding artist were to do a painting with high-quality paints on oil paints on a dirty canvas, you can imagine that the outcome of this will not be all that great. And so the same thing goes for the meditators. So if a meditator attempts to do the meditation practice, however, he or she is not quite upright, and then the outcome of this endeavor will be somewhat mediocre. However, when an outstanding artist does a painting with first-class oil paints on a very clean canvas, and then it is to be expected that his or her artwork will be outstanding. Likewise, when a meditator's mind is pure and there's much honesty, uprightness, then the practice of such a person will be uh, very clear. Now, in Burma, uh, experience uh, shows that uh, the younger the meditators just out of high school uh, before they head on to uh, university make a very good uh, meditators because usually uh, they're still relatively uh, pure in uh, their uh, thinking, in uh, their uh, bodily and uh, verbal uh, deeds. So for them to uh, gain the Dhamma is uh, easy. However, um, as certain human beings, as certain we go on through life and certain we get involved in all sorts of you know, things, you know, well, sometimes you know, the purity uh, ends uh, or our purity suffers certain from this. Now, our text that speaks about certain qualities that a person should possess who wishes to attain that state of peace 
now then you know, suggests that you know, we should also um, possess the quality of suwajja which is a Pali term which stands for being obedient. One should be obedient. Now this in a Western, highly industrialized certain country is a quality that many don't like to even hear about. Obedience. Now just imagine. Uh, no, obedience at home, um, being obedient to you know, what one's uh, parents tell one and being obedient to what one's teachers tell one. Uh, this is not for me, this is maybe you know, for uh, others. And uh, however, uh, this is a quality that uh, is uh, indeed you know, useful and to, def- to develop if we don't certainly possess it uh, in the context of uh, the Dhamma practice. And what it means is you know, that we accept the teachings and instructions, you know, the teachings of the Buddha and the instructions uh, easily without you know, getting into some big uh, argument uh, over you know, whether you know, the instructions are right or not. Now, from again from an experiential point of view, meditators in Burma, or, or there, among the meditators in Burma, we have men and women, and so you know, the women are usually you know, the ones who are faith-based, and uh, you know, whatever instructions are given to them during interviews, they will you know, happily you know, accept them and or easily accept them and uh, immediately put those into uh, practice and as a result of uh, this their meditation uh, is certainly proceeding uh, very nicely and so you know, then Burmese men and uh, I dare say you know, Western men can be included in this <laughs> tend to you know, tend to be more on the critical side and uh, you know, they tend to you know, well ask you know, questions and why and how and you know, so they want to understand and so, you know, they you know, take instructions so, you know, not easily but uh, you know, they you know, well tally those or try to see them in the light of uh, their own uh, life uh, experiences. And so, so as a you know, male meditator, you know, we'd rather you know, do it our way. We'd rather find out something ourselves and experiment uh, a little bit. Now, this, of course, is just a generalization, and I'm not saying this is, applies to everyone. And now, when we do uh, listen and hear you know, some of you know, the Buddha's teachings, or read some of his teachings, or receive some instructions, meditational instructions, then we should consider ourselves extremely fortunate, as if we were holding a golden pot. And the reason for this is because you know, the Buddha's teachings and certain, uh, certain meditation instructions in the end lead 
speed you know, towards uh, you know, freedom you know, or liberation you know, from you know, suffering. And so a person who in the context of, uh, of the Dhamma practice easily accepts uh, you know, the teachings and uh, you know, the, also you know, the instructions you know, is said to be very close to Nibbāna. Now, to <coughs> substantiate you know, this point uh, somewhat uh, more, at uh, the time of uh, you know, the Buddha, you know, there you know, was a seven-year-old novice, a Samanir. And uh, one day, you know, this uh, novice you know, saw Elder you know, Sariputta, you know, one of the two you know, chief disciples of uh, you know, the Buddha, you know, wearing his you know, lower you know, robes unevenly. So you know, one side being somewhat up and the other side being somewhat uh, down. And so there is a monastic you know, rule you know, that uh, well, you know, compels the or, or urges you know, the monastics to wear you know, their robes evenly all around. And so this uh, seven-year-old novice. Um, then went up to Elder you know, Sariputta and uh, clasped his hands and said, Venerable Sir, you're, you're not wearing your robes evenly all around. Would you mind uh, maybe adjusting your uh, inner robe? And so. And now, what do you think, how did St. Elder Sariputta, so chief disciple of the Buddha, respond to this? Do you think he got uh, really upset or angry with this uh, novice and uh, scolded him for uh, admonishing him in this way? Or uh, did he take uh, the admonishment uh, easily? Uh, well, well, what's your thinking? Yeah. Yes, what do you think? He probably didn't get, he did not get upset with him. Uh, yes, he did not get upset, and in, indeed. And so, uh, so um, and so not just this, not that so, uh, you know, Venerable nor Elder Sariputta didn't get upset, on top of this, you know, well, he adjusted his uh, inner rope and then invited you know, the Samanera, if next time he finds some other fault uh, with him, and then kindly you know, points uh, pointed out again. So, um, this then shows a tremendous amount of well humility and also obedience when it comes to certain instruction. Now, our um, two verses you know, from the you know, well-known you know, discourse you know, go on you know, to you know, say that as a meditator you know, we should be gentle. Gentle or you know, to have a mind you know, that is certain, pliable, that is soft and malleable, gentle. Now, the Pani term you know, for this is uh, mudu, and the uh, corresponding uh, mental state is uh, known in the Pani scripture language as mudutta. 
which is malleability of the mind. Now, when it comes to the practice of the Dhamma, we need to have a mind that is neither rigid nor rough nor tense, but rather a mind that is malleable and that is soft and pliable or gentle. And so, oftentimes, uh, we do not pay attention uh, to this. And you know, both physically as mentally, uh, we're all you know, tensed up and uh, not really ready you know, to you know, let certain, or you know, to you know, shape you know, the mind uh, in a certain way, or to let you know, the Dhamma you know, shape us. And so the malleability of the mind is a prerequisite for the acquisition, for the understanding of the Dhamma. Now, there are certain unwholesome mental states that make the mind tense and rigid. And among those are, in particular, holding wrong views and, on top of this, also pride and conceit, mana in the Pali scriptural language. And uh, so what we need to do is you know, to lessen or to weaken you know, these certain two states and uh, you know, to develop you know, this malleability as much as possible. Now, the mental factor of malleability is certainly said to have you know, the characteristic of leading to a subsiding of rigidity, of the rigidity of the mind in the Pahani scriptural language known as tamba. And so its function is to crush you know, that same you know, rigidity and you know, it manifests in the mind, so that's how we experience it, as non-resistance. So when the mind is rigid, then we tend to resist certain things to a point that we might even resist certain aspects of the Dhamma, we might resist the meditation method or the meditation teachers or retreat center and so on and so forth. Or we might even resist our fellow meditators, even though you know, we're all in the same boat you know, striving you know, towards uh, liberation. So, those without certain pride and certain wrong view, those with a malleable, pliable and certain soft mind are said to be close to Nibbana. Now, then what certainly comes next? The Discourse speaks of santusako or santusaka, which means one should be content. 
And contentment is a really important quality that one needs to possess as a meditator. Now, when we are on a retreat, we need to be contented with the the accommodation that we receive. We need to be contented with the food that we receive, and we also need to be contented with just the basic or the facilities that are present at the retreat location. And so, as meditators, we should not be like ordinary people who follow trends and certain fashions. So every time a new computer model is out, then we chuck our present computer and we go for the next or for the new model. Now, and as the meditators, when we either already possess this quality of contentment, or if not, we develop it, then gradually it brings us tremendous benefits. And it makes us much more independent of well, mundane or worldly situations or conditions. So even if we don't have the best food, even if we don't have the best accommodation or the best clothing or the best job, nonetheless, in our heart, we are contented. Now, contentment doesn't mean that we have to adopt a fatalistic attitude. It, is, it simply means that we're contented with whatever we receive in society. So if we happen to be very skilled in a certain profession and we're even an expert in a certain area and society then honors this, then we should accept it and certainly be contented with it. Now, Subaru is uh, the next uh, quality uh, that uh, our uh, discourse uh, recommends uh, uh, that we uh, develop or uh, possess. And uh, this certainly uh, stands for easy to support. While on retreat, one should be easy to uh, support. Now, this, in an Asian context, means meditators who are practicing at, let's say, a monastic meditation center would receive the meals that are being sponsored by some well, devotees. People who have faith and who see the value of meditation and 
and want to support this. Now, when a donor uh, is a donor is there for the meal, you know, then the donor will specify, well, kindly today, you know, offer you know, maybe noodles to you know, you know, the community, and you know, then such and such vegetables, such and such uh, you know, fruits, or, and uh, the other you know, desserts. And then, as a meditator in such a you know, monastic meditation center, it would be totally inappropriate to run to the kitchen and say, kindly for me today, no spaghetti. <laughs> and I don't want this, I don't want that, but rather serve me this or that. And, uh, um, and now, here it's uh, slightly uh, different. I, we may not have any outside uh, meal donors, except for maybe uh, meditators who are here on the retreat itself. And so, and thus the situation is slightly different. Uh, however, we have Beth as our wonderful cook, who alone, single-handedly, is cooking for altogether 29 people, including herself, and if Carl is included, then it would be even 30. So, if uh, each and every one you know, were you know, to or not you know, live according to you know, this principle of being easy to support, uh, then you know, poor you know, Beth, she's offering already so many you know, varieties, you know, she'll be dead you know, by, <laughs> by the time she leaves you know, her kitchen. And so, so as a meditator here at the Vallecitos Mountain Refuge, we try to well, then not be fussy, and we try to be easy to support, and we just well, we're happy with whatever we receive. Now. Apakicho is apakicho or apakicha is uh, the next uh, quality. Now, this pani the word consists of two parts, namely kicha, which means uh, function or uh, duty or uh, chore or task, and appa means uh, small or little or insignificant, and uh, hence. Uh, but, uh, hence, it means something like uh, little duties or chores or you know, tasks. So, as a you know, meditator on a retreat, one should have uh, a few you know, duties or tasks to you know, carry out apart from one main task. And what is that one main task? Who knows? Vipassana, yes, you know, being mindful from moment to moment you know, throughout one's uh, waking hours. Now, in order to you know, make this uh, retreat uh, possible, to operate uh, this uh, center, a number of number of works need to be done, or things need to be done, and so this requires some amount of uh, participation you know, from you know, the meditator's uh, side. Now, 
we do this as best as we can, as mindfully as we can under the given circumstances. Once we're done with our duty, then we revert to being mindful from moment to moment. And so, if we if we get if we busy ourselves too much then this might interfere with the meditation practice now sometimes there are meditators on retreat they're here you know, they're, or, or they are on the retreat you know, because they want to meditate and yet you know, then when the practice goes somewhat difficult um, then they try to get away from it as best as they can and uh, the way they do it is by busying themselves and uh, not long not too long ago at a different retreat center I noticed uh, one meditator who was very busy uh, collecting uh, picking flowers uh, and uh, then uh, making flower arrangements uh, all over uh, the meditation center this was very kind of the person however it did consume a lot of time at least that was uh, uh, my impression now, when one busies oneself like this, then one, well, one risks to weaken one's concentration samadhi. Since one's activities will continuously interrupt with the development of concentration. Now, the venerable Mahasi side of Burma, who you know, was you know, probably you know, the first and foremost promoter of Mahasi, of the Mahasi style of the Pasta meditation, both in Asia as well as outside of Asia, you know, during the beginning days at the Mahasi Center, I was uh, approached by you know, the lay organization and uh, um, asked whether the meditators you know, should uh, be you know, sweeping you know, the grounds, the pathways, or not. Naturally, the, you know, you know, there were, you know, were people out of front devotion who wanted to contribute um, to the center, and so you know, seeing a broom, they would start you know, sweeping you know, the grounds. Now, um, to this, the you know, Venerable you know, Mahasi Sayadaw you know, decided that you know, uh, he did not want them even to sweep you know, the grounds. Now, at the most, to keep you know, their you know, rooms clean and uh, the area you know, where you know, they were sitting in meditation, and that you know, was it. Here in the West, we do have to, uh, we have to do a little bit uh, more. Now, Salahuka Wuti is uh, the next uh, Nepali uh, expression that we find in our uh, two uh, verses uh, about uh, qualities that one uh, should possess uh, if one wishes to attain that state of uh, peace. Now, Salahuka means light or frugal, and wuti means conduct or habit or practice. This then means 
then someone should live lightly or you know, frugally. And there are different uh, aspects uh, involved uh, in this. And so, when one comes to a meditation retreat, then one doesn't bring one's entire wardrobe along from back home, but rather one limits oneself to the essential clothing, and then while one is on retreat, one doesn't try to accumulate more and more material items. Now the problem with having collected some many material possessions while on retreat is, especially in a place like this out in the wilderness, well, there are what? There are what? There are the ground squirrels, and and then there are the ants, and and there are all sorts of uh, uh, rodents around that. Uh, might uh, then uh, go after our material possessions. And so if we are in the habit of stacking food in the room, maybe another additional cup of coffee just before the sun reaches the zenith, and maybe also a few biscuits and some other goodies, maybe chocolate bar or so. And then, so if we bring all of these things to the retreat, well, after a while, uh, our you know, fellow beings here, rodents and so on, might find out, and they might find uh, you know, their way into a tent, into our stack of uh, food. And suddenly uh, then happily gnaw away at what is uh, there. And so, um, having plenty of possessions means also having plenty of worries and having to you know, look after them, store them properly, and certain and so on. Now, at one point in Burma, at one of the meditation centers there, there was a non-Burmese meditator who came, so a foreign meditator who came and practiced at the center for several months, and then... Um, well, while being there, accumula- accumulated all sorts of material possessions, and by the time it's, uh, by the time, uh, or when the time came you know, to you know, move you know, to an, another meditation center, you know, this meditator had to uh, order three taxis you know, to move all of his possessions from one place you know, to another. Now, of course, you know, this you know, doesn't concern us here. You know, we're so much in our so way out in the wilderness. Um, you know, there's there are not many things that we can accumulate here. Now, the Buddha suggests 
that we develop and or that we practice another quality which is given as something or something now in here refers to the senses and santa means calmed or tranquil or peaceful and um, hence the term santendria may be translated as one whose senses are tranquil or one controlled in the senses now Even though we have uh, the eyes to see with and uh, ears to uh, hear with, uh, yet while we're on a retreat, uh, we try to uh, restrain these, including uh, the body. And being well aware that a lack of uh, restraint of uh, the senses uh, will uh, lead to the or might lead to the arising of unwholesome mental states so uh, voluntarily uh, we try to uh, keep our uh, senses uh, restrained now at first this may prove somewhat uh, difficult and uh, sometimes uh, meditators resent this a little bit uh, however after a while, uh, one does get uh, used to it, and one does see uh, the benefits uh, of uh, this. Now, spending an entire day in a big city like downtown uh, Manhattan, uh, doing uh, some shopping there with lots and lots of sense impressions, so sounds, plenty of sounds, plenty of sights, and uh, the various kinds of odors, and, uh, and so on. By the end of the day, by the time you get back home, you'll feel you know, totally recharged or drained. <laughs> Obviously, not drained. And so, you know, the reason for this lies in a lack of restraint of you know, the senses. The mind gets bombarded by you know, sense impressions, and so, you know, this is so, you know, not so uh, easy. Now, in Nambini, at the birthplace of the Buddha, where we have this Panditarama Nambini Meditation Center, well, it's somewhere somewhat quiet there, um, but not as quiet as it is certainly here. Now, once every month or every second month, the foreign meditators have to go to a place known as Bindowa and so only for their visa extension. And usually, foreigners then happily make this day trip to Bairua and Sonoli after a month or two months of intensive practice of thinking, finally, that I can stop with this restraint of the stances and I can look around and enjoy the world around. By the time they come back after a whole day in Bairua and Sanuni, by the time they come back to the birthplace of the Buddha Lumbini, which is relatively quiet, into the meditation center, they're so happy to be back in this peaceful uh, setting. And the reason lies uh, in, uh, well, 
uh, this bombardment of uh, you know, the senses uh, through you know, sense impressions. So the Buddha recommends you know, that uh, we, you know, when we come, we do so calmly. When we go, we do so calmly. When we eat, we do so calmly. And so, you know, then whatever or what, you know, whatever other activity we might uh, you know, get involved in, we do so uh, calmly with uh, you know, um, you know, the body and uh, you know, the senses are well you know, restrained. Now, one should be discreet is certain, uh, the twelfth out of uh, you know, those certain uh, fourteen uh, qualities, and certain, uh, this in uh, the Pali scriptural language is given as a nipako. And this particular term represents some you know, difficulties in uh, explanation. Now, Venerable you know, Sadatissa, you know, who translated uh, you know, the Sutta Nipata, you know, well, he gives it as uh, one should be discreet. And uh, you know, Venerable Sadhu you Usilananda, know, who uh, you know, taught in the you know, San Francisco Bay and area for you know, many you know, years, uh, he you know, recommends, or, or he you know, uh, translates you know, this term Nipako as wise. Now, when I heard the discourse on these two verses, um, then the Venerable Sadhu Utnasasana explained it as follows, namely, a meditator needs to possess or needs to have mature wisdom. So it's something along that line. Now, there are different ways of going through life. Either we go through life in a rather you know, superficial you know, manner, and suddenly you know, we think life is just about some enjoyment, or you know, we may see things differently, and suddenly you know, we you know, go through life, and suddenly you know, we attempt, you know, or we try to you know, develop mindfulness, we try to develop concentration, and in particular, we try to develop uh, you know, wisdom. So we try to you know, go deeper and understand uh, the true nature of uh, things. Now, what is uh, uh, apparently meant here is that in whatever experience comes up, either during intensive practice or even outside of intensive practice, we use it, uh, we use this experience as a way of deepening our wisdom. And so, as a result of this, we then may at times see the impermanent nature of a particular experience or we might see its unsatisfactory character or we might see that in the end there is no self to speak of. So, as a meditator, hence, you know, we you know, need to, you know, we you know, should be wise or have uh, mature uh, wisdom, or at least uh, de- uh, develop the mind uh, towards uh, this.
Now, the second last quality um, that a person should possess who wants to, who wishes to attain that state of peace, is certainly given in Pali as apagabba or apagabbo, which means uh, impudent, um, not being proud. Now, to be impudent. is or to be impudent means that uh, one is presumptuously confident and certainly uh, self-assured, even though uh, at times there may be no reason for this. Now, as we've seen already uh, earlier on, uh, when you know, we discussed uh, you know, the quality you know, of uh, the malleability and the pliability you know, of the mind, you know, pride and conceit you know, will not uh, work. And so, over you know, time, we need to develop our bodily, our verbal and mental conduct in such a way that it becomes soft. And if previously we were proud and very self-assured, then um, or excessively self-assured, over confident, then we need to do something about this. So we need a soft and clean mentality, and with this, then gradually will shape our bodily and verbal conduct. And those who indulge in uh, rough bodily conduct and rough verbal conduct will be missing the Dhamma and will be far from attaining Nibbana. Now, the last and fourteenth quality, as given in our two verses, for one who wants to, who wishes to attain that state of peace, is given in Pali as kulesu ananugido. Now. This means one should not be attached to families. And this needs to be understood in an uh, Asian context when or where a meditator goes on a retreat and then the relatives might come over and then come for a chat or come and might bring some goodies, some food, highly cherished food items and so on. Now, 
while on a retreat, the mind uh, can fall into all sorts of uh, uh, ideas or fall onto all sorts of uh, ideas. So while one is meditating there, one might remember the last time one enjoyed some some special kind of food and it's already so long ago and one really misses this and then fortunately that very day one's relatives certainly come oh what a perfect or wonderful opportunity to get one's relatives to organize just that very food item that one was craving for and so hence um, seeking you know, the company of uh, one's uh, relatives or you know, friends uh, intentionally seeking the company you know, with an intention you know, to you know, get what one is craving for is uh, not uh, the right uh, way. So you know, instead one should be uh, as independent as possible. Now, what this particular point also means is, or might, might mean, is that while on a retreat, over time, one might get quite friendly or close with some other meditator. And so, um, too much of uh, this uh, friendliness is not good either, since it might, I'm not saying it will, but it might lead to craving and attachment. And as the meditator, we walk this path alone. We ourselves have to do the work. There's no one else who can do it for us. Not, not even our parents can do this work for us. So, when we meditate, then we try to be well. We try to maintain a good relationship with everyone else around, but we're also aware, or we're trying not to get too attached to others either. Now, sometimes I'm not necessarily saying that this is happening here, but sometimes. Um, in a you know, bigger you know, retreat center where people are meditating for longer stretches of time such as several you know, months you know, then uh, it's uh, you know, some people you know, might uh, fall into you know, the habit of visiting uh, the other meditators and uh, you know, sometimes you know, this uh, you know, then you know, might uh, you know, develop into uh, well uh, a circle of meditators getting together and then chatting and exchanging their meditation experiences and discussing you know, various uh, aspects. Now, uh, this 
answer um, is not necessarily always helpful. The Buddha then has uh, praised you know, Viveka, which means seclusion. And uh, this Viveka is of three kinds, namely Kaya Viveka, and uh, then Chitta Viveka, and Upadi Viveka. Now, Kaya Viveka literally means to stay in seclusion, to be by oneself without a companion. And the second form of seclusion, Chitta Viveka, refers to being without the companion of unwholesome mental states. So, even though we may be physically uh, without a companion, yet uh, while we're sitting there in meditation, we might uh, remember you know, some wonderful time you know, from you know, the past and uh, you know, you know, then you know, what we you know, did or said you know, back you know, then and suddenly so you know, some uh, memories suddenly come up and so, uh, we are uh, we are with some companion in the form of uh, a memory or an unwholesome mental state. So, and the Buddha does not uh, encourage uh, this uh, either, but rather uh, he encourages uh, that we uh, choose um, that we choose a different kind of companion and what do you think uh, uh, this companion is? Who knows? Not so bad. Even more comprehensive than mindfulness. Wholesome mental states. Wholesome mental states, yes. The Dhamma. There you go. So, we should take the Dhamma as a whole as our companion. And if we do this, then... We won't be disappointed, and this companion then will indeed get us closer to the attainment of Nibbana. Now, the practice of meditation clearly unfolds in a well, in a very systematic manner, and certainly very much does it unfold according to the law of cause and effect. So, if there are certain certain causes given, then certain effects or results will be there. So, if we shape our behavior and if we adopt the qualities as mentioned in our two verses, then the necessary causes or conditions are there and these then will make it almost a necessity for the state of peace, for that state of peace to arise within. Now, let me conclude today's 
certainly a demo talk um, by well before you know, before going into the conclusion well, what do you think from which you know, discourse are these 14 qualities who knows very you know, famous well known you know, short you know, discourse then comes up for recitation so many times Well, what about uh, Jackie? Do you have any idea? Well, you know already. <laughs> so it's the you know, Metta Sutta, you know, the discourse on you know, loving kindness, and some, you know, a discourse that is mostly about uh, you know, well radiating you know, loving kindness uh, you know, to you know, other beings, whether they're small or big. Uh, um, you know, weak or you know, strong. However, you know, this discourse in its uh, initial you know, verses contains you know, these certain uh, 14 qualities that we have uh, you know, just you know, discussed and uh, which are more you know, than you know, relevant you know, to our you know, meditate, Vipassana you know, meditation practice. Now, let me conclude today's uh, Dhamma talk you know, by wishing. May you take you know, these 14 qualities as uh, mentioned in the you know, Sutta to heart, and um, may you put them into uh, your meditation practice. May you develop these qualities over or in the course of this retreat, and may ultimately may they lead you to the attainment of that state of peace. And this is it for tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.